Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be my full review of the Garden of Salvation raid. It will contain some probably minor spoilers for you. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, you can always catch me live at saynotorage.com. It'll bring you right to my Twitch channel. Usually when these videos hit the feeds or the podcast feeds, I'm live when they hit. So if you want to come in and join the conversation in the Q&A, do that by going to saynotorage.com. So my review of Garden of Salvation is is very glowing. I'm going to have to do a separate review of Destiny 2 Raid philosophy because I still think we're in a place where raids to me are unappealing after the first week or so and that's very different compared to Destiny 1. So if you're looking for a lot of that man, where's Lono going to really rant and rave about philosophy? That'll probably be a separate video. I didn't want that to overtake my review of Garden of Salvation. I want this to kind of be its own thing. So first I want to talk about how it's beautiful. Then I want to talk about how it's challenging and I want to end by talking about Team Reliance. Team Reliance. That's going to touch on some of the philosophy decisions from Bungie. But first and foremost, we say this almost every raid, I feel like, but I think really this time, more than ever, I want to talk about how beautiful this raid is. The settings are just absolutely stunning set pieces that harken back to D1, especially if you played from the very beginning and you're familiar with the Black Garden and the mossy grass tree areas. It is fantastic. It's like Destiny and Avatar had like a baby. Like they're amazing, amazing set pieces. The music, make sure the first couple times you play through this, turn the music on, especially for the interchange. Like there, there's there's places you go where there's like, I don't want to be too specific, but there's like waterfalls and stuff and these trees. And I'm telling you, make sure you have the music on for that. There's these big, huge open landscapes. I honestly did not expect the raid to be this big. I thought it was going to be shorter. I thought it was going to be closer to like Scourge of the Past size because we were getting a Rise of Iron size DLC, but the raid team absolutely nailed this. The in-between sections are, in, in many respects, equal to the actual fighting environments as well. They're really, really cool. So take your time, walk around, look at everything. It's really, really exciting. And there's a secret chest too in one spot. So keep your eyes open for it. The environments and the bosses are also excellent given the Vex theme. I loved how it felt. Vex... The Vex never feel all that threatening to me when you fight them in strikes and stuff. I always felt like they were kind of derpy and stupid. They kind of walk on straight lines. Oh, apparently there's two secret chests. Sorry, two secret chests. I've always felt the Vex were not that threatening. But let me tell you, you're going to have heart-pounding moments in this raid your first couple of times. There's really, really good pain points and angles utilized with Cyclopses and... I mean, and some of the ways that you get pressure applied to you in the environments themselves, I love the use of angles. If you really consider, uh, you know, the way you stay alive a lot of times, you're using angles to hide and, and, and duck into cover. And that intensity in that battle felt good. It kind of reminded me a little bit, a little bit, not a lot, but some of the intensity reminded me of Wrath, where we were really having to band together and stay alive and you were, you know, you were taking damage a lot. And I like that. A lot of the environments set that up really, really well. The guns and the armor look fantastic as always. So in the in the theme of being beautiful, I think this stuff is I think this stuff's awesome. Now I know people are gonna be like, oh, but the the armor is a reskin. I threw them gauntlets on, man, and I'm not seeing reskin. I'm seeing something dope. And when I walk around the tower, I don't see hardly anybody else with armor that looks that cool. It's got these big glowing, you know, protrusions coming off of it. I I really, really like it. And the guns look absolutely great. 
Um, unfortunately, I can't say much for the raid perks on the guns yet. We haven't seen anything that impressive. Uh, they do seem, unfortunately, to be very basic, again, with respect to the archetypes and the, and the perks. I love my Rapid Fire Fusion, but I like Rapid Fire Fusions anyway, so it's not necessarily because the gun is spectacular. It's just because it's there's not a lot of Rapid Fire Fusions in the game. Now let's talk about how it's challenging. You know, we're, we're already hearing that, oh, once Contest Modifier drops off, it's easier. There were, you know, Glad and some homies three-manned it, and uh, Slayer Rage was working on three-manning it, and it is. It's significantly easier once Contest Modifier drops off, uh, and that's to be expected. Like, ads are dying faster, and you're staying alive longer, and so obviously whenever you know you're going in there without contest modifier on people sometimes i think get a a misrepresentation of what challenging content in raids are if you're watching gigs and glad and slayer rage and 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 the and the clans that speed run and you're watching these guys on stream run through these raids really really fast i don't think you can draw conclusions from that about what is truly challenging they're not normative what the way they put pressure on themselves uh the skill level of these players is not normative to the player base at large you're not going to go through lfg and find people three manning these raids okay so we i i want to make sure we don't get jaded and say oh we need to start building raids so it's too hard for people to three-man. Like, we, if you build raids that are too hard for the top 1%, they're going to be really unenjoyable, I would think, for the rest of the community. So I actually think Content Modifier is the great equalizer. I loved Contest Modifier. Contest Modifier basically, I think, is removing that idea that if a team pulls ahead in power level, it gives them an advantage. If you look at both the Last Wish race and the Scourge race, there was obviously big differences between the teams that went all the way and teams that didn't. Some of that was skill. We're not going to deny the skill level of the teams that went the distance, but there were literally teams who couldn't even make it take a crack at it because they had bad RNG. There was terrible leveling during Forsaken, the RNG nature of leveling, and then combined with the very, very extreme delta of Last Wish was frustrating. So we need to say, Contest Modifier is one of the biggest and greatest things they've come up with for the world's first raid race, but... I happen to think we're underselling the value of Contest Modifier. So Contest Modifier basically treats everybody in the encounter as if they're at the same level. So if you're 950 and I'm 921, you don't have an advantage. You don't do more damage than me. You don't have more survivability than me. We're treated the same, and it's great. However, I think they could use this to increase difficulty beyond that. I know, because this morning somebody was saying, well, like, Slayer Rage thinks the raid's too easy now that Contest Modifier's off. It'd be really cool if you remember the Nightfall card. The Nightfall card allowed you, it's still in the game by the way, it allows you to impose a light level handicap. And I think there could be a version of Contest Modifier that allows you to do that as a team. Let's go in here and get treated as if we're well under so we see skulls the whole time. And you could tie loot to this, like have a loot incentive so people that really, really want the content to be super duper hard don't have to do like, oh, let's try a three-man. They could literally say, no, let's go in with a six-man squad. We're all really good. We all know what we're doing. Let's try and up the difficulty with the Delta. I think Contest Modifier could get a little bit more, they could get a little bit more capital out of using it in, in more in more creative ways. I actually thought the intensity was there. I thought splitting the team up and making people stay on their own and do things on their own and be by themselves creates intensity. Now, I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk out of both sides of my mouth here. There's a unique level of intensity in a raid when I am by myself and I know I cannot die. I have to hold this position. I have to do this thing. I cannot die. Nobody can come help me. 
there's a level of intensity there that I don't get to experience anywhere else but I don't know if that leads to great raid design I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit but the intensity was definitely there I felt challenged, it felt intense, it felt good and I had changed my mind about the tether in the final fight some people are arguing that the tether needs intentionality you need to be able to aim it and shoot it and hold a button down and I, I originally was agreeing with them I have since changed my mind the tether is meant to be a B word. It is meant to frustrate the frick out of you because you're not doing it properly. You should be finessing when you shoot the box. That's the real ticket. If you're being sloppy and you're shooting that box to initiate tether before your team's ready or before people are in positions, you are going to be punished for that. And once we realized that, and I waited, I was number one, I waited for position two and three to get into position, and I waited for the people that were not tethered to move away, and I shot it, it went significantly smoother. And I think that's exactly how it's supposed to be. I really hope they ignore everybody's critical feedback of the tether and they leave it as it is. Now, a lot of people, myself included, were falsely concluding that the tether was glitching in the final fight. It wasn't stunning him. They don't do the best job of providing player feedback in regard to this. Each totem needs 30 motes banked and the totem changes shape and it's got like little crazy animation balls coming in and out of it okay when that animation's going on you have 30 and that totem will successfully stun the boss if just one vex sacrifices you have lost a moat or more we don't know how many you lose when they sacrifice but if you don't have full 30 and you're not getting that crazy animation on the totem it will not stun the boss and it doesn't tell you that there's no way to know that that's happening the, the tether works it goes out it goes all the way to the boss damage is happening and you can't stun him and a lot of people are falsely concluding that it's glitching I was one of those people so I have since changed my mind I think the tether's fine I don't think it's glitching I think the floors glitching is a problem when he's de- destroying the floors and it continues to hurt you and the animation stays there that needs address but as far as I can tell the tether is working exactly how it's supposed to and it's your job to finesse it and shoot it at the right moments if, again if you're being sloppy and shooting it and other people are getting tethered and getting snagged by it and can't shoot their guns that's on you whoever initiates tether is to blame when that happens it's your fault not the mechanics fault now Last, let's talk quickly about Team Reliance. I'm going to do a bigger video about, like, actual raid philosophy and touch more on this, but this is why myself and many other people are raiding significantly less. A lot of the raids, if not all of the raids in Destiny, well, not all, the layers weren't exactly like this, but most of the big, big raids, Last Wish, uh, Crown of Sorrow, uh, Leviathan, and this raid are not so much about teamwork and people arm in arm working together I got my battle buddy and we're gonna we got this spot right there's so much of the relay race trading places isolating players siloing players off on their own and it's more about team reliance I'm not a fan of that I'm not saying this is wrong or bad I'm just saying it makes for very unfun encounters because if one person dies it tends to descend into madness and essentially wipes you also have the revive timer we had a great clutch moment taken from us yesterday I went into the room I took out the angelics. We were ready to go to the next phase, and we got wiped by the timer. Let us let us decide when to wipe. If we've got five people and we want to push to the final phase and go for it, let us freaking do that. I'm tired of the philosophy about everybody has to be alive when the boss dies. We want everybody to be involved. They have swung too hard at the idea that no one should be carried, and they have created 
I think, an unfun raiding environment. It's challenging, it's awesome, it's beautiful, but I'm telling you what, I'm in good company here. Tons of people don't raid like they used to, and that's one of the primary reasons. You cannot rise to the occasion. There's no specialty roles. Nobody's grabbing a sword. Nobody's grabbing a relic. Nobody has to be good at something. Everybody has to be good at everything. I'm not saying that's exactly a wrong philosophy. I think it makes for unappealing raid content. So, in this raid that is present if you don't like that you might get annoyed by it i think overall this raid's fantastic i think it's very very well done it's well designed the environments are beautiful but i think two things are hurting incentive to run it the loot doesn't seem that impressive once again probably need to do a separate video about raid loot again because once again the raid loot is just not standing out maybe to make them all curated roles on the weapon so they can be amazing and and pre-planned roles so they're god tier if you get them and the philosophy of team reliance and everybody must stay alive and revive timers, I still I still think is hurting raid uh, raid experience and uh, and the fun factor. So as always, we're going to transition to Q and A. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, you can always catch me live at saynotorage.com. As always, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be a question and answer session that followed my review of the Garden of Salvation raid in Shadowkeep. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, you can always catch me live at saynotorage.com. That will bring you right to my Twitch channel uh, as a way to watch these. Usually when these videos and things hit the feeds, I'm live. So if you want to come in and watch and join the conversation, say no to rage.com. I'm also going to try and be better about having these only last one hour for the sake of my schedule and my sanity as well as just quality of the question and answer sessions and I'm plus I kind of want to grind as well so we're going to jump into the first question here it is from I thought it was free do you think that raid weapons have never been that good because such a small percentage of the community raids well in D1 they were inconsistent because like Vogue was amazing Crota had some good ones and then King's Fall was arguably the weakest of the bunch as far as weapons there was like two or three that were good and even then there was only one real standout and that was the Yasmin the, the sniper and then you get the you get the wrath of the machine and they're good again they've got synergistic perks they're unique they're actually pretty strong uh, you had the medulla you had the the genesis chain you had the chaos dogma you had the ex machina sniper the rocket launcher wasn't very good and then you had like the sidearm and the fusion and generally the sidearm the fusion weren't good and and the machine gun weren't they were not that great because at the time they weren't great weapons it wasn't the wrath of the machine weapons it was that at the time machine guns and sidearms and fusion rifles weren't particularly strong anyway um Right, the machine gun from King's Fall was, again, it was okay, and that had more to do with the archetypes of machine guns at the time. They weren't particularly strong damage weapons. That's not really the role they were serving at the time. Kind of like Yasmin, people were going into people were going into PvP with the Yasmin, or they were going into PvP with the, the machine gun. It's generally how it was landing. So, we need to have that history correct when we answer this question. D2 lands on the scene, and Leviathan had Sins of the Past and the um, and the Midnight Coup, and that's it. A couple of the other weapons were like okay. I didn't. I I liked the uh, I liked the Ghost Primus auto rifle, but there wasn't anything spectacular about it. Um, and then as soon as you leave Leviathan, things arguably 
Oh yeah, and the inaugural address. The pulse rifle is still great, actually. You can even use it in Crucible today, and it's it shreds. It's I swear the bullets out of that thing are magnetic. That they like they they shoot differently. <laughs> that gun is ridiculous. So that's true. So there was, there was a couple pretty good ones there. Then you get the last wish, and things, in my opinion, take a turn for the worse. There is almost nothing worth using out of last wish, which is bizarre given how challenging that raid is. Um. Even the, even the one that everybody kind of runs to, like Nation of Beasts and Chattering Bones, you didn't need to run Last Wish to get weapons equal to the Nation of Beasts or the Chattering Bones. You could get strong pulse rifles elsewhere. You could get strong you know, hand cannons in the energy slot elsewhere. There was no particular reason to chase those weapons. And then virtually every other weapon in the Last Wish are bad. Other than obviously the 1K voices, but that's an exotic. Like, come on, that better be good, right? It's like that's like saying the Galahorn was good. It's like, well, it better be good. It's an exotic for frick's sake. Then you go, you know, fast forward to Scourge. Scourge had the threat level, but the threat level was ultimately just putting the Icolos in the kinetic slot. So again, nothing spectacular there. Fusion rifle is is okay, and again, you just the, the point of the point that you should probably be hearing being made here is there's never been a great time when you could say all of these weapons are worth chasing. Now, let's contrast that to the potential roles we've looked at for the Vex Offensive. Um, Some great roles that can be had there, and the frequency of grind on Vex Offensive makes chasing those roles really, really interesting. The frequency of grind on the raid, I think, necessitates a complete jettison of the idea that raid weapons should be somewhat basic or normal or like everything else. I can grind Vex Offensive all day long, Ada's frames all day long, Menagerie all day long. So that frequency, it makes sense to have the rolls be good to bad, and then there's god rolls, and they're all kind of pulling from the same perk pool. That's kind of sensible. Now, obviously, we want new perks to show up in the game, but I go to the raid, and the frequency of drops are, is terrible, because it's like, you, I got my first completion, I got two arms, a sniper, uh, and the, the fusion and the pulse. So I got five drops. Oh, the second pair of arms came from the hidden chest. So thankfully, it seemed like RNG was kind of on my side from the encounters. The four items I got, arms, fusion rifle, pulse, sniper, at least I got all different weapons. I don't know if that was just luck or smart RNG or what, but the frequency of drops in raids, I believe necessitates going to curated rolls or giving us the ability to rerun or something. Um, I don't know. Somewhere along those lines, I think the raids need to land. The, the guns need to be better and more unique and maybe also give us more intentionality towards chasing them. Because I, I get what Bungie's trying to do. They're trying to make it to where the main reason to run the raid is because like you come out and you look really, really cool. They don't want to go back to Fatebringer days, but I think there's something to be said for Fatebringer. There's something to be said for the really really great loot is in here you know you only got you got three boots yeah I I didn't think that they had smart RNG in the raid Parasito do you think 8 encounter mechanics or 10 depending on how you count it is too much for the end boss or do you think the boss mechanical difficulty was good I feel like the tether mechanics shouldn't steal my ability to shoot Right, so in my talk, I actually changed my mind about Tether. There's a lot of people saying that the Tether is terrible and that it's glitchy and that we should have agency over, like, I aim at you and shoot you with the Tether, kind of how we did with beams and other activities. 
I originally agreed with those people. I have changed my position, and let me explain why. Number one, the tether is not glitching. You don't have a full totem. They don't really clue you in that that apparently that you have lost moats to an invade to it to a sacrifice. And if you lose moats and you go to stun the boss, it will not work. Okay? They don't do a good job of cluing you into that. Once we realize that's what's happening. We didn't have any more, oh my gosh, we can't stun the boss, it's glitching. That stopped happening the minute we didn't go to that phase until the until the totems were full, okay? So, that that's, that's irrelevant. Now, there was some times where the floor animation was screwing up the totem, and I couldn't get the tether to even touch me. That, I think, had more to do with the, the floor glitch, like the floor animation was glitching it. I don't necessarily think it was like a... The tote, the tether itself was glitchy. All right, number two. Oh, I should be in control of who's getting tethered. I, you know, I don't want to get tethered by accident because then I can't shoot my gun. As I said in my talk, I think the tether is supposed to be disruptive and unwielding if you don't use it properly. So the minute we realized that people were trying to get into position and moving and shuffling, and that was causing chaos with the tether. I was not initiating the tether by shooting it. You shoot it to start it. I was not initiating that until people were in position, and then that problem went away. We were rebuilding with ease. We were we were stunning the boss with ease. The minute we realized that the totems have to be full or you can't stun him, and number two, it's on me. If I'm number one and I'm initiating tether, it's on me to finesse it and do it at the right time. I did it early once. I was my I made a mistake. I forgot to say I forgot to wait for everybody to get into position and I shot it early and it screwed the whole thing up. That's a mistake on me. That's not the, that's not the mechanics fault. I made a mistake. We had we had a process. I I short-circuited the process and it caused chaos. Another time happened. We had established that for damage, you should move far away from the second totem. First totem, you do the tether and then you have to go to the other totem. So we established we're always going to do damage at the first totem. Well, a couple of times the team got too close to us. We were trying to do the we were trying to do the tether and they were putting the well of radiance right next to us and then they were accidentally grabbing tether. That again is on the team. You are not engaging with the mechanic in a finessed and aware way and you deserve punishment for that. You're playing reckless. I don't think the tether is as bad as people were making it out to be. I think the floor animation glitch is frustrating and that glitches out the totems. But I think the tether if you finesse it and you communicate, I think it's fine. We were rebuilding like nothing. We were stunning the boss like nothing. The minute we adjusted our strategy to how the tether functions, it is supposed to be, I believe, a disruption, a disruptive form of power that must be wielded properly, else you fail. Right? That's how I think it's supposed to be. So I've changed my position. I hope Bungie doesn't change the tether, because I think it's good. I, I think you have to respect it and use it the right way, and then it goes fine. Um, memory dump. I think somebody in chat saying they should let, let it shoot half damage while tethered. No, uh-uh. I like it the way that it is. I think there's going to be mods that make you take less damage while tethered, though. I think there's some that have to do with banking moats as well, or, ha- or holding moats. Memory dump. How do you feel about finishers and how they're incorporated in the game? I gotta be honest, I never use. I don't use them. I use them when I get a bounty to do, to use them, and here's why: I take damage. I take damage when I'm doing it. Um, now there's a mod that gives me an overshield, but then it eats my super. So it's like, isn't it easier for me to just hide and 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 recover than go spend my super energy on an overshield? Like I just, 
I don't know. I was going to use my finisher for heavy ammo. And I was going to run my Genji Jolly Rancher. But they nerfed that perk. So I've got to look at the mods and think through strategy. Because right now, um, I don't use them that often. Even when I'm in like Vex Offensive and stuff. And I think it's because it's somewhat disruptive. Um, it's somewhat disruptive and I end up, I end up, I feel like I end up dying or taking extra damage a lot of the times. So I'll have to wait. Currently, I don't use them that often. People in chat are like, don't sleep on them. They've got great mods. So, um, you know, the new raid mods spew out heavy like crazy. Yeah. I saw T-Rex's clip. I think they're going to nerf it. (laughs) Did he get like five bricks from one enemy? H Mongolite, what is your recommendation for the raid loadout after your initial raid clear? Any standout weapons uh, or type that I should, for someone who is going through the raid run this week? Izanagi's Burden was really, really helpful early on for the Cyclopses. Uh, That first initial scenario was great. Um, Second encounter, uh, Recluse is god tier basically everywhere. Um, Recluse is god tier. Do not sleep on One-Eyed Mask. I had the least amount of deaths in almost every encounter, and it's not because I'm a better player. It's because One-Eyed Mask saved my butt hundreds and hundreds of times. One-Eyed Mask combined with Recluse is stupidly effective at staying alive and managing the ads. Uh, Also, I would put on minor spec on your Recluse. Everything that you're killing with it is a red bar, including the Minotaurs. Everything is registering as a minor. So run recluse with minor spec and one-eyed mask if you're a titan and i mean you are gonna freaking feel good um you're gonna feel real strong um now outside of that void grenade launchers felt good but in the third encounter tractor cannon felt absolutely great for the team that has to bank and deal with the minotaurs tractor cannon felt awesome I was able to just bust those Minotaurs back because they will punch the living daylights out of you. I could bust them back and switch to my threat level and pop them. Tractor Cannon was really, really nice in that encounter. Also, Tractor Cannon's nice for the boss in that encounter because it goes down that hallway. I was going ahead, getting behind that boss and Tractor Cannoning the whole way down so all my buddies using snipers and izanagis and whispers and stuff are getting a really really nice damage buff on that boss now I'm going to start adding my grenade to it because my grenade I have the void debuff from the artifact on my grenade okay so that's great for third encounter last encounter I went with double sniper I went with a really nice sniper that I got from Eris and it has box breathing on it whisper and then recluse and the whispers for the boss and the snipers for the cyclopses. So, something I actually particularly like about this raid is I changed my loadout a lot one encounter to the next. It didn't feel like one size fits all. It didn't feel like spike nade grenade launchers were the go-to. Didn't feel like we were we were damage jumping. Now Glad was in here a little bit ago and he still isn't super pleased with the fact that it's another boss that kind of goes into opposing position for damage cuz obviously they're they're we're all wrecking him with whispers and isanagis. I disagree with Glad a little bit. I, I I do understand where he's coming from. He wants to be attacked during the fight. He really likes Skolas. I think we all think Skolas is a great fight from D1. But I disagree with him a little bit, and here's why. I think it's another boss 
that is pesky and damaging you the entire time and taking away the floor. So the boss is doing a lot leading up to damage that I think reminds me of Scourge. He's not just a set piece that sits there and is easy to hide behind or hide from. He's actually quite pesky. The boss can be quite pesky. The taking of the floors, the launching of his attacks, he's he's fr- he's frustrating, okay? And then you got the cyclopses that spawn. Okay? Now, damage phase is not as clean as a lot of other damage phases, and it's shorter. I kind of got my way in this fight. The boss is similar to Scourge. He's not a set piece. He's fighting you. He's hitting you. He's making the... He's, he's changing the environment beneath your feet, literally. And the damage phase is short, and not everybody can damage him the whole time. You got to stun, and you stun him, and, then the, and some people can start damaging him. You got to stun him again. To, to, to get the true damage phase, you got to stun him again, and it's a pretty short damage phase. We were asking for shorter damage phases, and I think we got it. We also have a boss that like shoots down a hallway and doesn't just sit there. So, in my opinion, I think Bungie delivered on giving us boss fights that were not a. It's a giant that sits there like an idiot and lets you dump, you know, grenade rounds into him. And you have to remember. Landing, landing crit hits on this guy with a whisper is at least taking a little bit more forethought skill and planning as opposed to just grenade launching crown of sorrow just clung, 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 and then the boss is dead so similar to Axis similar to Axis I think most good teams will two phase this boss god tier teams will one phase but one phase will not be normative the way it was in crown of sorrow and scourge i do not think one phasing this boss will be normative i think it'll be challenging and i think if you get it it'll feel good but i think a lot of teams are going to get him down to like five or ten percent a lot of good keep in mind good teams are going to be enough five or ten percent have to go to second round and i think that's a good thing I think the reason that's happening is because the damage phase is truncated and it's segmented and it's shorter and that's a good thing so I, again, I understand where Glad's coming from, but we always have to be careful. We always have to say, okay, because Slayer Age was saying it's too easy now with Contest Modifier off, right? I think sometimes guys at that level get a little, not a lot, they get a little jaded because they play at such a level. It's like, man, almost nobody in the community plays at your level. Like, we can't change encounters and bosses and stuff to fit your liking all the time. I think... I think they have... Uh, I think they've come a long way. I think they've come a long way with not having the damage phase be so easy and so long. Isn't there a way to extend damage phase? As far as we know, Eugene, you stun, and then you stun again, and you got a damage phase. I don't know if there's a way to extend it beyond where it was. Sometimes the stun thing comes back up, but there's no tether. So I don't know if there's a way to activate another totem to do a third stun to do another damage phase. And if that's the case, if that's the case... I would be okay with that because a finessed team, a team that's aware and pivoting and making movements, getting more damage, getting a longer damage phase, I think it's totally fine. That's like slamming the plates at Axis. You're, you're finessing the encounter and getting a damage benefit because of it. So, Lord of Time. Do you feel there is an overflow of energy primaries? I've ranted and raved about this for a while. I really think they need to let us put energy primaries in the primary slot and just give us elements on all primary weapons. I don't think that would hurt anything. Somebody was like, oh, shield propping would be too easy to make the game so easy, blah, blah, blah. No, it wouldn't. 
because now they're adding overload champions, they're adding barrier champions, they're adding unstoppable champions that make you use certain mods and different weapons and in different ways. So no, shield popping with an element would not suddenly make the content easier, but it would let them slide energy primaries up and we could go back to a true primary secondary system and then you could give elemental perks because elemental perks like firefly and chain lightning and suppression and blinding and all that could start to land on primaries to make them far more interesting. Um, so I, I really think now, now more than ever, right now more than ever, I think you could bring back elemental primaries because the artifact and the mods and the champions are creating a new pain point beyond an arc shield that you pop like, and popping a shield is not crazy strong. If, if listen, if popping a shield makes you insanely strong, let me ask you something. I don't use my Eikolos shotgun because it pops shield. I use my Eikolos shotgun because it's really, really strong. Okay, It's equal can be found in the threat level. When you run an energy primary and the threat level, do you suddenly feel like a god? No, because popping shields is not that significant. There's not this sudden like shift in the power structure of the game. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm running an energy primary with, with void or arc or solar, and this game is just so easy now. No, that... That is so overstated by the people that disagree with me on this. Let's go back to pri- elemental primaries, true elemental primaries, and slide all those primaries up. Element like the the new the new hand cannon from Air uh, from from Vex Offensive, that void hand cannon. I would love to throw that in a primary slot. Also, weapon swapping swapping gets so crazy. You know, I'm trying to swap to my primary and I don't because I forget that I'm running kinetic shotgun instead of an elemental shotgun. It's just I don't like it. Evil the Waffler. Do you think the delta for the contest modifier was too hard for day one? Nope. Contest modifier is the single greatest thing brought to the day one raid race. It, they should never take it away. They should never take it away. Like, it, we're having different teams win every time. We're having teams that are that are not one of like the chosen big streams win. People are not going in with level advantages. It has leveled the playing field. Way more teams can compete. It is exactly what we want. If they re- if they remove contest modifier I will be furious and I think anybody involved in the race would also be furious it's like no let's have a level playing field I want to win because my team's better not because my team's stronger because of good RNG on drops didn't a console team get second by two minutes yeah a console team came in second place by two minutes contest modifier is a great great thing that they've done it's fantastic uh Zeta saw that divinity was finally obtained looks like you have to have a six-man team and do the puzzle and beat the raid will you be doing this and do you think this is a better approach to an rng exotic this is exactly what we asked for what did we always say about the raid exotics i started saying make it a quest after a couple of weeks so if you can't get it to drop from the raid you can try and get it through the quest and they did us one better they're like ah we'll do you one better the quest unlocks after the raids beat thanks Bungie. that's actually better than we asked for i think it's great it was a console team on PC. Oh, they played on PC though. No console team finished within the first 24 hours. Oh, I got misled then. People made it sound like the second place team was an actual console team. You're saying that they just use cross save. Why are we saying console team then? They're not a console team. Like, what? Because they use controllers? Like, wh- why are we saying a console team came in second then? That's weird. Mr. Puffhead, Ikora mentions the return of the Undying Mind. You think we'll have an Amago Loop Farm 2.0? Listen, I don't know if I want to go back 
to go for another. I'm kidding. I would definitely go back for another Imago loop. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know, man. It'd be cool for that strike to return. Season of Dawn, maybe, or something. That'd be kind of neat. I would love to go for the Imago loop. Or I'll tell you what, make it one of the you know seasonal event weapons or something to let me grind for a god roll. G-O-H-D. Um, G-O-H-D. How do you feel about... Excuse me. How do you feel about the hand cannon changes and how they've changed the PvE meta? Um, hand cannons are still great, but they don't feel like the only gun worth using. When I switch from my hand cannon to a pulse, to a scout, to an SMG, they all they all feel equal. They do. They feel equal right now. I run, all right. I run my my new my new um, SMG. I run this 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 guy here, the subjunctive. And it feels great. I haven't even got to try this one yet. This one rolled with Swashbuckler. Um, when I run that in Vex Offensive or in Vex Invasions, they feel equal. They feel great. Like, I don't know. Something about... I think there's something about the fact that they lowered the crit multiplier, but they raised base damage. I think that change did exactly what I was hoping for. Hand cannons don't feel like crap. They still feel great. But... SMGs feel really, really good right now in PvE, and I've never been able to say that outside of the Recluse before now. They feel really, really good. Now, auto rifles, I'm still finding my way with auto rifles. I want to maybe wait and try some of these these rolls. I got, I got, you know, the Arc Logic with Rampage. I got an Arc Logic with Subsistence and Tap the Trigger. Uh, I don't really know. And Pulses and Scouts, I'm telling you, a lot of the environments on the moon right now feel really, really good with the Scout. They feel really good. Those Scouts, man, you get those pop, 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 pop going. You start popping them crits, and you're just seeing, especially with Rampage, you just see those Vex just... You just see them popping. Ooh, it feels good. It feels good to run a Scout again. Um, so, I think, honestly... Primaries are only in a weird spot because of the artifact. I already left feedback on Twitter about this. You've got anti-barrier, you've got overload, and then you've got unstoppable. And unfortunately, it's hand cannons, SMGs, uh, and, and a bow. What the frick is the bow even doing there? So, my feedback to Bungie is, it's really weird to grind Vex Offensive for a pul- Four weapons. Two of the four weapons are a pulse and a scout. And they can't get perks relevant to the activity. They can't get overload. They can't get anti-barrier, and they can't. Unstoppable's not in there. I'm sure it'll rotate. Um, so I don't understand. Auto rifle, SMGs, hand cannons, and bows. And so if you get a god tier pulse rifle or scout from Vex Offensive, you can't throw on a perk that's relevant to the activity. It doesn't make any sense. Also, people pointed out you can't put any of these mods on exotics. So it's great that they made Huckleberry awesome again, or or at least appealing by making Rampage get nerfed on every weapon except for Huckleberry. So Huckleberry has some appeal, but then you go into the content like Nightmare Hunts, Nightfall, Vex Offensive, and they introduce a new mechanic called Champions, and now Huckleberry's like, well, I guess I'm not going to run it. I guess I'll just run an auto rifle or an SMG, and I'll throw on one of the perks on it or a hand cannon. So... I think these should just be this this entire slot here should just be for primaries. And if you want to run a double primary, go for it. I run double primary in Vex Offensive until the final boss fight. I run a hand cannon and an SMG. I run anti barrier and I run overload, and it feels fine. It feels good. I don't mind running double primary because there's a tangible benefit to running double primary. Okay. These should just be called primary mods. 
that's all they should now if you want to come over here and give enhanced reload for specific weapons each season that's fine that's fine i mean that's that's not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go cry about that but this right here this lane needs changed i per, I, I personally think um and i know that might mess things up because there's five here so maybe they could provide three for primaries and two for secondaries because then you could put like overload on like a fusion or something or unstoppable on a shotgun you know i there could there could be the top three or for primary anti-barrier and overload you could go anti-barrier overload and unstoppable for primaries and down here you could just do overload and unstoppable on secondaries and then you're done you fix the problem i can now run these mods on relevant you know on, on guns i'm grinding for as well as exotics so but in general i to, to go back to your like your original question I think I think primaries are in a really really good spot right now. If you ignore what I just pointed out, you kind of can't ignore it. But um, SMGs and auto rifles uh, and scouts feel much better than they had previously. Scouts again are contingent upon the content, right? You know, it's it's I don't know. I think the reason they made it not primary is because they wanted people to run what they want, but not have everyone on the team just slap on a mod without consequence. Right, but again, it's not sensible. I'm grinding Vex Offensive, and 50% of the weapon pool in Vex Offensive cannot equip relevant perks to the activity. It's weird. Imagine getting a God Roll Pulsar Scout from Vex Offensive, or from Eris Morn's Table, or from the Raid, and you're like, that's a nice Pulse and Scout, but if you run any of the actual new seasonal content with the new seasonal modifiers, th- those guns aren't relevant because you can't run the perks. You know, I don't think it's thoughtless. I mean, and again, I'm not thoughtless. I go in with a hand cannon, anti-barrier, and an SMG on overload, and I feel I feel awesome. And that's a choice that I make. I don't have to make that choice. I could just run anti-barrier and let my team do overload. But I myself want to want the ability to run both, and I feel cooler and stronger, and I'm sacrificing something for that. I'm not carrying my shotgun, fusion rifle, or cold heart anymore in my secondary slot. You don't need the perks in the new activity. You can kill the mobs before they trigger their shields. I don't really know if you guys that are pushing back on what I'm saying, I don't know if you're listening to the point that I'm making. It doesn't make sense to have guns in an activity that can't run the relevant mods. That's nonsensical. Like, it's as simple as that. I don't care if I can kill them. I don't care if I don't need the mods. It makes zero sense to say... There are four weapons in Vex Offensive. Only two of them can run the relevant mods for the activity. What the frick? Why? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, we made exotics better. But they can't run the mods either. So, you're saying that, but most people, especially if you're going into six-man match-made, right? You're not going with the team. If you go into six-man match-made, you're going to want to run those mods on your guns because it's helpful. It's it, 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 And... Not only that, you're working against the power fantasy at that point. This is adding to the power fantasy. New pain point, mitigatable pain point with a mod, put the mod on your guns, but you can't do it on a lot of the weapons. So you're 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 pigeonholing everybody into SMGs and hand cannons and auto rifles. I don't know. That's that's that that's just like that's I don't know. Listen, Bungie wants feedback on this, right? They want feedback on this. They said that they're not opposed to letting mods continue outside of a season or adjusting how it works. I think it needs adjusted. I think it needs adjusted. It doesn't make sense, but it's not necessary for those guns to have those mobs in the first place. It'd be okay. It would be better if they had 
the mod equip equipable it's not about what's ne- necessary it's about it's about funneling people to a handful of weapons and it's supposed to be about power fantasy and grinding for things and using those things it just why I'm grinding for a gun and I get a god roll and if I take it into the activity it feels weaker against the enemy types that are that are new it's a new gun from a new activity that's weaker against the new enemy types so I have to run another gun to actually engage with these so 9 times out of 10 the more people engage with this content the more they're going to lean away from the pulse and the scout which I just think is unfortunate because they're cool weapons same with the raid like I go to the raid and I get a god roll pulse I don't have a god roll pulse but let's just say I got a god roll pulse and then you're like hey guess what the new nightfalls the new nightmare hunts you're like oh you don't need it in vex offensive you don't need it but what about a really difficult nightmare hunt or a really difficult nightfall and I want to use my god roll pulse I, I can't put any of the mods on it. I, you know, you want to run Huckleberry. You really like Huckleberry. You want to go into a raid. You can't put the mods on it. The whole difficulty spectrum is built around these these champions. It and you can't. And they've 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 left certain weapons out. Listen, I'm just providing my feedback. If you think it's fine, cool. Wait till it's a season where the, your favorite weapon can't be used. Wait till it's wait till your two or three god rolls are suddenly made less relevant in hard content because you can't slap the mod on it that you need. And you're going to be thinking different about that, I think. So, I understand your argument, but I don't think the answer is to make them all primaries. Uh, We need a better answer. I am open to hearing a better answer. So, I think it's contextual power. No. Contextual power is when a weapon comes from an activity and is stronger in that activity. The context of the drop determines its power. That's contextual power. This is not contextual power. This is arbitrary decisions about weapon types that are suddenly more valuable than others. That's not contextual power. That is n- I've never defined contextual power in that way. Getting a, gu- a raid gun that has raid perks is contextual power. Getting Vex offensive weapons that are stronger in Vex offensive is contextual power. That's not happening. Two out of the four Vex offensive weapons are weaker, arguably, in Vex offensive because they can't interact with barrier, they can't interact with unstoppable or overload. Same thing with Nightmare Hunts. Same thing with Nightfalls. You're saying this, but I'm telling you, just wait till this lands on your loadout and you don't like it and you're going to start to see what I'm talking about. Right now, it feels great because people are like, oh, hand cannons and SMGs, I'm fine. Like, everybody loves their hand cannons, right? SMGs are feeling pretty saucy. So you go in there with your hand cannon and your recluse and you're not having to change much. Wait till next season where it ain't hand cannons and it ain't SMGs and you're having to run weapons you don't like if you want to actually engage with the new power fantasy of barrier, unstoppable, and overload. Trust me. I think people are going to change their tune the minute it hits their loadout and they don't like it. You think it would be fixed the problem if it's going to match the artifact? I don't understand what you mean. I mean, it's not just Vex Offensive. It's, it's Vex Offensive, it's Nightmare Hunts, and it's the Nightfall. They all have the champions in them. So... SMGs have disrupting rounds seems useless. You only get one bullet out of the mag that has it uh, and it has the bottom half. Minotaurs often spawn as disruptors and tend to teleport off them while chasing you. Um, hang on a minute. That's not how disruption works. Uninterrupted fire grants bullets that cause disruption, delaying ability energy. Oh, you're saying the teleport jacks it up. You're misrepresenting disruption, though. It's not the first bullet. You're thinking of unstoppable. Aiming down sights loads a powerful explosive payload that staggers. Disruption is uninterrupted fire, right? 
I've not had a problem doing that to the Minotaurs. They don't te- the the Minotaurs that have had disruption on them or or the overload. I'm sorry, they don't teleport that much. They're in the raid and they're in Vex offensive. They didn't teleport nearly as much as the freaking Jack wagons in the in the third activity in the raid. Those 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 Minotaurs teleported like crazy. So, next question. Chrono Ignite. Scourge of the Past and Crown were okay raids. Would it be better to have Bungie to make two raids a year instead of three, combine both the raids and make it as big as Last Wish uh, or Garden of Salvation? Sometimes I think they spread themselves too thin to make three raids. Listen, you're not getting three raids. You are not. They're not doing two more raids between now and September of 2020. You're going to get one. Garden of, Garden of Salvation isn't big. You're crazy. It's enormous. Did you watch any of the go-between scenes? The travel the travel areas are huge. This The raid is big. It's got to be just slightly smaller than, than Last Wish in size. It's massive. It's, it's enormous. The sets that you fight in are huge. The first encounter alone is enormous. Room 1 room two, room three, room four, and then the freaking Cyclops gauntlet. You're nuts. The first, the first encounter alone is in, is mad, is massive. And then there's the, and there's all the, in, the in-between areas with the teleporting and then the traveling in between dude, garden of salvation is a, it's way bigger. It is way, way bigger than I expected. I didn't think it was going to be this big as it is. So I would say, if we get a raid, another one, we're about to go into year three. If there's a year three raid beyond Garden of Salvation, it's going to land in the spring. They're not going to be able to do another one right away. They're not going to do one super close to next year's September drop. So they'll do one in the spring if they do one. And it'll be small. It'll be like it'll be like crown or scourge size. I think he meant in length. Oh, like duration? It's four encounters, though. I Listen... I, okay, Last Wish was is, is is such a hard raid to beat. I think Last Wish is the biggest raid in all of Destiny. It's five encounters, isn't it? Um, Last Wish is Kali, Shirochi, Morgeth, Vault, and then Riven, and then the Heart. It's six. Yeah, it's six with the Heart. Like, yeah, Leviathan's ridiculous. Like, I... <laughs> <laughs> not Leviathan. I'm sorry. Last wish. Last wish is ridiculous. I we we don't we don't act like that's like the Paragon. Like that's the that's that's the raid size we need to aim for every time. I, we we I don't think we can go for that. Cover two. What's the best place to go after a high stat rolled armor? All what is considered high stat sixty and up. Yeah, anything over sixty is pretty high. I was being told Leviathan was dropping sixty plus on stats. I don't know if people are misreading. If the Leviathan armor is dropping, like with like, I don't can 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 armor drop with mods already assigned? Because I'm wondering if that's what was going on. If not, then we were being told that Leviathan was dropping like, uh, not all Leviathan is 60 plus. I didn't say all. People were saying they were coming out of Leviathan with 60 plus pieces. So, I feel 60 is pretty common. I did some. I did find some Leviathan stuff at 63. I've gotten exotics in the 60s in a raid with 59. Yeah, I think anything anything around 60 is going to be a good, good drop. Also, consider this. I have a, a chest piece for my Titan. And it has, like, a very low mobility. 
and it has very low strength. And then all the stats in the middle are all double digits. So it's got low mobility, but resilience, resilience and recovery are like a 10 or an 11 each. And then intellect and discipline and uh, intellect and discipline, right? Is it four in the middle? Let me look at it. Let me look at it. So I call this right. The stats were like super easy. We're super, yeah, 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 yeah. Resilience, recovery, discipline, and strength were all double digits. I'm, I'm sorry, intellect. Resilience, recovery, discipline, and intellect. Those four in the middle were all double digits, tens and elevens. And the mobility and strength were really, really low. I'm like, that's a great roll. I'm getting a double digit on what I consider to be the most important, the most important stats in the game. Resilience and recovery, and then discipline and intellect are like the two, I think the two best. Discipline, especially because with the with the with with the with the mod to to debuff enemies with a void grenade, this one here, oppressive darkness, you're gonna see tons of people trying to run max discipline and max intellect for optimum DPS builds. Cause that grenade is silly. It changed our DPS abilities in the last fight, big time. Um, so I think you're gonna like that. That's one of the fun things about looking at the stats is you can like look for those good rolls. And I think anything above a sixty is probably gonna spread out really nice for you. Uh, Loki, Loki K, do you think contest mode would be a cool modifier that could be applied to all raids with triumphs attached? Yeah, I think, and also being able to turn it up, right? I think being able to turn it up would be really, really nice. Um, change your name to Lono Stradamus because you foresaw this long ago. Which, what are you talking about? Um, what did I foresee? Uh, buh, 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 buh. yeah, I would like also like to be able to like turn it up. Contest modifier one would basically be everybody sees a sword, and then contest modifier two would be everybody sees a skull. And you could even have it be like contest modifier and they have a little sword icon, contest modifier and have a little skull icon, and that would be something that would be there for the hardcore players, and then you could have loot incentives like. Oh, I don't know. The sword one has a drop rate that persists after three runs, and then the skull one has guaranteed drop rates from every encounter. Like I don't know. That would be, that would that would be a good good change. Oh, you want drops all the time from the raid? You just want to grind through it? Yeah. Throw on that uh, contest modifier with the skull, and you get guaranteed drops. Is that a little too hard for you? It's taking a little too long to complete? Well, throw on the swords, and uh, you know the drop rate's better, but it's not guaranteed. You know, that'd be good guaranteed three from the normals after that if you want more you gotta you gotta up the difficulty i'd be okay with that by the way if you've never been here before uh i i used to play game do gameplay during q a but q a lasts like about an hour now and i don't do gameplay so the questions are a little bit better if you've never been here before uh the easiest way to support me is to click the follow button that's the little heart button we do it's like an interactive podcast we love destiny we'll probably be rating this afternoon here in a little bit when we're done with q a and i I eat my lunch really quickly and then uh hopefully you're enjoying your stay i appreciate you guys hanging out we've really been enjoying the new shadow keep content melmsy a large part of the community finds 2.0 too confusing and is pushing for a full transmog system instead is there a middle ground to be found elsewhere listen i i was against transmog Okay, but as it exists right now, it's fine. If you go beyond this, it gets absurd. And here's what I mean. I look awesome right now. And my gear, you know what I'm wearing. You know that I'm wearing tangled web robes and substitution. Like, I haven't actually changed the gear. It's contained in a menu. I come in here and I'm like, oh, what's he wearing? Oh, 
symmetrist habit. He's wearing that, you know, that's that decorative set from the Eververse, okay? If I were able to come in here and basically say, alright, any any chess piece I've ever gotten in the history of Destiny, I, you're, that, that's negating, that's negating grinding for loot. Like, if you really, really like the way raid armor looks, then empower the player to grind for raid armor with good stats. I think it's a punt to be like, oh, if you want everything to look like the raid armor, just run the raid until you get all the armor pieces, and now you have transmog tickets, basically, that you can apply to any piece of gear. I just think that's, that, that, is, that is passively negating content grind. Oh, you want everything to look like the Escalation Protocol armor? You want everything to look like whatever? Like, empower the player to grind for the armor. And if they want it to have good stats, we'll keep chasing it. But it's like, all you gotta do at that point then is find one diamond in the rough. That chess piece I got, that, that, it's a crucible chess piece, right? It's got great stats on it, but I can't make it look like raid gear. I can't make it look like, you know, gear from some other activity. I can only decorate it with ornaments from the Eververse. I think that's totally fine. I really, really think there is something to be said for somebody who has god roll armor that's from a particular activity, whether it's Escalation Protocol or the new raid, and it looks like raid gear and it has good stats. That's like that's like a testimony to their grind. Instead of, oh, where'd you get that god roll, you know, arm? Oh, just like dropped from a nightfall, and you make it look like the raid gear. Oh, where'd you get that god roll chest piece? I was doing something for Ikora. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like if if it's going to look like raid loot and have good stats, it needs to be like, I went there and I, I, I got this armor by grinding for it. So. Opinions get you banned. Would you like to see the champions added to Gambit, or would this be a bad idea because of blueberries? Um... I don't know if I want to add anything to Gambit to make enemies stronger. Uh, <laughs> I get so tired of the damage output and the strange aggro patterns in Gambit as it is. So, do you think not having Kuraya as the final boss opens up more story options? I think it's like the third or fourth time in a row people are like, it's going to be Kuraya. It's going to be her. I guarantee you it's her. It's going to be her. And it wasn't her. <laughs> we had people this is like the third or fourth time people are swearing up and down it's gonna be her man it only makes sense for it to be her man and then it's not her it's like the people that keep predicting the end of the world and they're like oh the world didn't end yeah we had our calculations wrong um (laughs) it's like they just keep readjusting yeah eventually you're gonna be right you know eventually you're gonna be right People do that when I'm chasing a gun. They're like, oh, it's dropping this time. It's dropping this time. It's dropping this time. And they say it every single time. And then when I, they're right, they're like, see, I told you. And it's like, you just said that it was going to drop like 15 times in a row. Of course, you're eventually right. You know, what is Karaya? It's she is a, ve- a Vex Hydra that's like been taken and like maybe has ties to Savathun. I don't know the full story. I don't like saying Kuria. Is it Kuria? People were saying that it was Korea, and I don't like saying Korea. It sounds like I'm saying the country, but Korea, Korea sounds better. I'm saying Korea. It's probably yeah. It's probably Korea. Like that sounds like Korea, but it's Korea, like cure, like to get a core, a cure from a disease. Arson at dawn. 
Do you think there needs to be increased variety in the raid weapon loot, including but not limited to multiple types of primaries such as kinetic additions or different archetypes to the current pool, mainly energy weapons, i.e. another version of the Reckless Oracle, but in the kinetic slot and a 450 RPM? I'm going to ignore the last part because it's just too specific. Listen, I'm not asking for variety in the pool. Like, well, you better give me primaries that are also kinetic but then also like I want a scout that's kinetic and I want an energy that's kinetic I want a uh, kinetic hand cannon and energy hand cannon that's not what I that, no I don't I don't think we need a thousand weapons from the raid I think we needed a, a healthy sized raid pool and then the perks need to be unique and the guns need to be good that's it I don't think we need to add more to the pool there's only so many encounters and only so many drops right like you, you can't fill the pool too much. I think that as far as I can tell, this this weapon pool feels pretty pretty full for Garden of Salvation, but it unfortunately, we're not seeing anything spectacular coming out. We're seeing good weapons come out, but I don't think good weapons are worth it when a lot of other really, really great and good weapons can be found elsewhere for far less effort. Nova Hands. Hey Lono, now that we've had a chance to play the content, how do you feel about the season of the Undying content being retired at the end of the season? Will you be okay with Vex Invasions and Vex Offensive going away? What did I what did I say in all my videos leading up to this about the Vex Offensive leaving? What did I say? I said it's probably going to be pretty basic mean potatoes content that's pretty fun and pretty easy because they don't want to go into too much like it you know oh it's got to be amazing it's got to have this mechanic it's got to have that mechanic it's got to be super complex number one because it's match made they can't do that number two it's going away as far as i can see it vex offensive is exactly as i described it would be It is very basic it is very easy it's quick and it's over and it's done with it's also ridiculously generous on drops if people start calling for a nerf on drops in Vex Offensive, I'll find where they live and I will I will punch them in the tooth. Like, we do not need anybody arguing for drop rates in Vex Offensive to be nerfed. It is limited to this season. Leave it the frick alone. Do not mess with the drop rate. I swear to frick, I'll blow a gasket if they mess with the drop rate. It is exactly the way that it is supposed to be. There's only four weapons. If you're going for a god roll, go for it. Grind chase it it's awesome vex invasions vex offensive if that's the way they do these encounters every season then people will not even question to spend the ten dollars you are going to shoot this ship right in the bottom of the boat right in the bottom of the boat you're going to shoot this down if you take vex offensive or the vex invasions and you nerf their drop rates their their drop rates are awesome right now and here's the thing you still have Eris Morn's table, you still have the raid, and then there's Nightmare Hunts, and then there's Nightfalls, and then there's the Armor 2.0 grind. It's four weapons. Everybody needs to chill the frick out with, it's too rewarding. It's just four weapons. Shut the absolute frick up about nerfing the drop rate. Anybody who's doing that, shut them down on the forums. Talk about how it's a limited time event. Talk about how it's the bottom rung for anybody who buys the content to jump in and play. Talk about how it's only four weapons. Shoot any argumentation you see down about nerfing the drop rate. Because this is this is exactly how this content is supposed to be. It's fun, it's very, very quick and over and done with, and it's super rewarding. It actually, it has a loot explosion. It, there's there are loot explosions in Destiny now. You kill the Vex invasion guys. You kill the Vex offensive air areas. There's just loot everywhere, right? 
There's loot everywhere. It's awesome. It's awesome. So, if people are like, they're going to get god rolls too fast. Generosity is not the enemy of engagement. It is the promoter of engagement. Trust me on this. If but listen, listen. Bungie, if you ever hear this clip, please hear me out. Leave Vex Offensive this rewarding all season long and run your stats and your data. And I promise you, you're going to see engagement is healthy, lively, and steady because people like to go into content that, that, that is that rewarding. And now you've got a great template for saying, oh, it's gone, but don't worry. Another super rewarding activity is coming in Season of Dawn. I'm telling you, generosity is not the enemy of engagement. It promotes engagement. People want to chase. People want to get the god rolls. When they get the god rolls, they want to use the god rolls. That's one of the problems with only two weapons being able to use the artifact mods, because you kind of want to use those god rolls in the activity. You can, but like, it's just a bummer that you can't use those mods. So, leave it alone. I I will come after you. (laughs) I will come after you if you argue for nerfing the drop rate in Vex Offensive. Freddie Jackson, Garden of Salvation was very satisfying to look at for all the encounters and mechanics were challenging but fair, but it felt there was a lack of encounters uh, compared to Wrath of the Machine. Do you think shorter but more encounters like Wrath are far better or longer or less encounters? I think, Freddie, you need to get an abacus and you need to you need to practice you need to practice your arithmetic. <laughs> Wrath of the Machine is smaller than than this raid. Okay? And arguably, rather the machine has fewer encounters, okay? Because the siege engine is a super short encounter. It's not very difficult, okay? Rather the machine has the opener, which also, again, is not a real encounter. It just isn't, okay? So it's basically like, I guess you could argue it's got five, right? You got Vosik's opener, Vosik's fight, then you got the siege engine, and then you got the two fights at the end. Uh it ain't bigger though you're kind of cheating like you're counting the opener as an engagement and siege engine as an engagement it's like uh, I don't know they're they're really short and and in this one opening engagement super long teleporting engagement super long tunnel fight super long final fight super long four beefy engagements in this in, in, in garden I think garden's bigger than wrath I think Garden of Salvation is bigger than Wrath. Um, so, loot drop equals an encounter. I mean, yeah, but like, so are you going to, the Sparrow Race drops something, you know, the, the jumping totem thing in Crown of Sorrow drops something. Are those encounters? I don't know. I mean, I don't think you could say, you're saying a lack of encounters compared to Wrath. I think you're going too far to like I think you're I think there there's there's an unfair comparison there cuz I don't think Wrath's opener is comparable to Garden of Salvation's opener. They're not comparable at all. I would even argue that Garden of Salvation's opener is more significant and bigger and more challenging than even the first two encounters in Wrath. Um it's you're just throwing balls and like and on normal too like Vosik is like Vosik's a pretty basic fight um I we beat that fight faster than I think any of the fights in Wrath uh and then again the 
the, the siege engine just was like, I don't know. It just, it, it was here and gone. So I don't think we want to make that comparison because you're like saying, you know, do you think shorter but more encounters like Wrath are better or longer but less encounters like Garden of Salvation? Oh, I miss. I didn't even read the second half of your question. That would help. So you are acknowledging that Wrath is, is, is more encounters but shorter and you want to say which is better? More encounters but shorter or fewer encounters but longer? <sighs> Here's the thing. I think Wrath people liked it for that reason. If you wipe, you're like, we're, the fights are quick. So you're like, yeah, start over. Eh, start over. Now, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> it was like getting all the way to the end of Totems. Or getting all the way to the end of, uh, you know, Oryx and being like, we have to wipe. And being gutted, you're right about to finish it, and you gotta and you gotta wipe. That's like that's gutting, right? So I think more encounters and shorter, yeah, it equals more loot too. So I misread this question. This is actually a really good question. Sorry, Freddie. Um, long questions. I tend to check out halfway through, and I did that to you, and I like was like, I honestly thought Garden had more encounters than Wrath, because in my mind, Wrath is just four. I don't consider the opener. I'm like, it's Vosic Siege, and then two at the end. I always forget the opener to Wrath because it's just so over and done with so fast. Um, yeah, yeah. Shorter and more is what I would pick. Shorter, uh, shorter encounters and more encounters is what I would pick. Beer pie. Do you think that we need raid light mode? Something like infinite revives, no wipes, like menagerie, help people get into raid mechanics? No, I don't think so. I, I, I don't like that idea. Um... Uh, he submitted the question twice. Bruins, how would you feel about set roles on raid weapons like in D1? Personally, I would like it more. I, yeah, I think I think curated roles is the, is a better way to go. It is. Because then they don't have to worry about intentionality or drop frequency. Thank you, Finn. You, you know, they don't have to worry about that. They don't. Just give us really good roles. And then we're kind of... And, and when there's that many weapons, it's okay. It's going to take you a while to get them all. You're going to get doubles. You're going to get duplicates. So I think curated roles would be the way to go. Misery. Do you know why when sometimes I've tried to infuse same armor piece like substitution ally grease, cost an upgrade module, and not glimmer? Yes. If you're going armor 1.0 into armor 2.0, it costs an upgrade module. If it's like for like and they're both armor 2.0, it does not cost the upgrade module. I didn't realize that either. I was like, what the frick is going on? Gambit. One of my favorite things was learning how to use the relic in Vogue. It was challenging and it was a special role. Do you think Bungie is done using things like relics and swords because they were done, they want everyone engaged with the mechanics? And do you think bringing things like these back will help return the wow factor? I'm telling you, this all stemmed from Joe Blackburn because he tweeted about that a while ago. I remember him talking about how they were moving away from needing a good relic runner and needing a good sword bearer. They were moving away from specialized roles in raids. And he's also one of the people who defended the revive, t- uh, the revive tokens and the revive timer. I think those came from him. I think his philosophy and his, his viewpoint on raids is we don't need a specialized role. Everybody needs to be doing something and everybody needs to stay alive. Everybody needs to be alive. Um, so I think his philosophy on raiding is the reason that all the raids have had that in them. Now, he's no longer on, he's no longer in, in, is he at Bungie, just not in charge of the raid team? Or did he leave Bungie? I thought he was still at Bungie, but he wasn't raid lead anymore. 
I would be curious to see, now that he's not in that position, what the next raid, what the next big, big raid looks like. So, next year, September... Oh, he left Bungie. Okay. I would be really interested to see, because I feel like he influenced... I still feel like he probably had a lot of influence over Garden of Salvation. And so... Because it didn't get built in a day. And and I'm curious, like, this time next year, what kind of raid are we going to get? What are they going to do with revive timers, you know? So... Again, if you're new and you're enjoying the interactive podcast style and stream, remember to click the follow button. That's a free way to support me. That's the little heart button. Jimbo Slice, what would you recommend a fairly inexperienced player like me do to get myself into a position where I won't be a hindrance to everyone in the raid? I want to experience them, but I don't want to be the guy that keeps dying. Watch streamers play it. Like, go back and watch the VOD of me playing when Contest Modifier was on. I was running Recluse, I was running One-Eyed Mask, and I was ba- I was doing everything I could to survive. You, you like sometimes it's instinct you just don't know like I think a lot of times destiny players are and I call these people I call them lead-footed dum-dums okay um, classic gamer with 28 months and Bo with the prime sub welcome enjoy the dope badge and emotes enjoy ad free viewing on the channel now the reason I call them lead-footed dum-dums is because destiny is very casual and it lets you play like a lead-footed dum-dum you can have lead feet and you can just stand there and you can face tank and just shoot all the enemies. And it's really satisfying. And that's really great for somebody who has, doesn't have a ton of first person shooter skill. You can just kind of be a lead footed dum dum and you can just kind of stand there and just bam, bam, bam. You're just, you know, you're just like popping heads. Okay. Now, if you go back and you analyze my movements, anytime I was isolated in that raid, I was closing angles all the time. Every time I had to reload, every time I had to recover, I was closing angles. So I was aware of my surrounding. So I would kill, I would kill one of the Vex, close the angle, get out of their line of sight, reload, enter the angle, kill, close the angle, reload, go back in. When I was approaching them, I would position my approach to the, like, when I got there, I would be not shootable. Now, I can't teach you how to do that. You just have to learn to be like that instinctive survivalist that looks at the lay of the land and knows where to go, when to go there, how to recover, how to get out of line of sight. Now, a couple of times, I was making mistakes because I wasn't using cover and I wasn't using angles. Like, my lead-footed dumb-dumb Destiny player instinct came out and I watched a couple of clips that people clipped of me dying and I was like, what the frick? Was I hurt? I didn't realize I was hurt. I got so used to being like the lead-footed dum-dum that a couple of times I went around the corner to start fighting and I was like, oh, I'm good to go. No, I'm not. I'm a one-tap and I didn't realize it because I just I wasn't watching my health bar and I'm just accustomed to standing there and taking damage. So a brand new Prime sub from the Baron 15 and nine months from Lugal89. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the badges, emotes, and the ad-free viewing as a sub. So... That's kind of what you got to do. You kind of got to watch experienced players play and analyze their movements and their decision making. And you got to try to mimic that. I mean, you got to play your life, play your life, you know, and you got to prioritize. So yesterday in the final fight, I had moats and almost died. And I realized if I would have died, holy frick, what a setback. We lose those moats. They don't drop on the ground. You got to go get more. Okay. And then later on in the fight, Somebody was playing risky and somebody was moving around with moats and Bellos was like, you can't do that when you have moats. And I spoke up and said, 
I've been playing very passive when I have modes. I sit back, I cover my teammate, I am not going to sacrifice modes. Because if my teammate dies, we're okay. I can bank, I can take over the enlightened position, I can res him. If I die and we lose the moats, significant loss. So you also just have to have those instincts and those ability to triage, like, what's most important in the moment. Um... And what Harry's saying, as someone who helps in D2 raids a lot, let the team know you don't have experience and ask someone who is confident to stick with you and stick with them. You can only do that to a certain extent in this raid, but yes, like try to like basically say, I don't know how to run this. Can someone kind of battle buddy up with me and kind of walk me through this? Um, Ashen Hollow. Should Bungie make it easier to find resources like every ghost having an intrinsic resource or cash detector? Yeah, I, yeah go for it. I don't, that, that's not a big deal to me. I, finding resources you can buy them from spider you know pay attention they're kind of all around you the moon does a better job i think of making them visible because they're like they're like flashing eknor sorry it's a long one i was watching skill up stream saying Shadowkeep is very light on content when he mentioned he hadn't played d2 in six to seven months you think critics like this who don't follow the live game where Bungie is drip feeding content. I don't think he knows how the game has evolved. For me, Shadowkeep is awesome. Everything feels reworked and reskin your thoughts. Yeah, this is this is one of the challenges I think for somebody like SkillUp to review this game in a vacuum. Okay. So I go to Ikora yesterday. I see her 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 quest bounty things that mimic the Ada bounty frames, the weapon frames, and I get really excited because I see the value of the week-to-week, day-to-day grind that comes from that type of an activity. I also look at the, the I also look at the the calendar and I'm like, we're not done yet. There's harder difficulties coming to nightmare hunts. There's something happening with Vex Offensive in a couple of weeks. There's um uh, bu- 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 there's the harder difficulties in 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 the night the nightfalls there's min maxing my armor with armor 2.0 there's all these things i'm looking forward to doing that when you play the game in a vacuum yeah there's a dungeon if you play the game in a vacuum for like a week or two you're going to look at the game in a vacuum and be like it's not that great i kind of feel like that would be like going to a restaurant that prided itself on bringing out a 10 course meal and you eat three courses and write a review not filling enough it's like but you won't wait you only ate three of the courses though you didn't stay the whole time so if you don't if you don't go through if you don't play Destiny 2 like a hobbyist and you're not like you're not you're not because if it was a 10 course meal understandably the courses would be small right if, if for some reason that's what they were doing so like in Destiny if you're not tracking with the game for the whole season and digging the grind and the loot chase and the armor 2.0 slow like acquisition of materials like get the right armor pieces to max yourself out and then you're ready for the harder difficulties you're engaging with the harder difficulties then the dungeon comes out then a hidden quest comes out then a free event comes out like if you're not doing that if you're not doing that, then it's really, really hard for me to take your review and your critique seriously. Yeah, I agree with Donnie Vino, and not just because he's on my podcast and because he's a friend of mine, but like I started enjoying Paul Tassi's critiques and reviews because he was reviewing and critiquing it as a Destiny player. And it's like, you come in with your armchair observations about like, oh, the story's weak and there's reused assets, and it's like, hold the frickin' phone. The number of reused assets is so minimal compared to the number of new things on the moon. 
Are you going to talk about the four lost sectors that are basically mini strikes? Are you going to talk about the new strike, the new areas, different public events? Oh, I don't know. The Vex invasions that are like literally hunting a world boss. You kill three. If you do it right, a giant world boss shows up. They can drop powerfuls. They're dropping loot like crazy. There's loot explosions. Compare that to the moon in D1 and talk to me about it's thin, it's reskinned, it's absurd how much reused assets there are. Come on. Come on. Like, you're you're eating three courses of a ten-course meal and saying it's not filling enough. Oh, yeah, there's two new strikes. I don't know. Like, I just... I, I feel like those are just drive-by, like, click-generating reviews. And that's not a slam. I get it. Guys like Skill Up and guys like Angry Joe have created a brand where they got to play the game, they got to play it quick, they got to crank out the review, and they got to move on to something else. I think that's really, really difficult to do with Destiny. I think Paul Tassi does a very good job of quickly consuming content in a game like Destiny and judging it as Destiny's intended to be played. Like, you have to... You have to judge it as it's designed, not as you hoped it would be. Like, well, I w- you, what you wish what? You could get all the value out of Destiny in a couple of weeks? You see what I'm saying? They're going for live service drip feed seasonal content. So if you play it in that way, that that's how it's meant to be played. If you slam it in two weeks, like just blitz it... Th- Number one, that's a terrible way to consume content. Number three, you're not playing the whole season. You're not play- listen. Shadowkeep costs thirty-five dollars, and you're playing. You're playing like fifteen bucks of it. You know, you're playing fifteen to ten dollars of the content and drawing conclusions. The dungeon, the Vex invasions, the raid, the increased difficulties, the nightmare hunts, the rotation on nightmare hunts, the increased difficulty in the nightfalls, the armor 2.0 grind. You're not doing any of that. You're playing 10 to $15 of a $35 DLC and going, well, in this small slice, if I really focus hard on reused content, I can really make a, a, a really easy, like, yeah, give it to Bungie, you know, kind of criticism. And it's just like, I, again, my, my, is Destiny 2... Shadow Keep a reskin video is already on my channel, and I basically said it has got to be one of the most bankrupt criticisms of this content. It is bankrupt. I, I'm telling you, you could go through and create an actual like geographic map of the moon, and 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 color in the areas that are exactly the same, and then color in all the new areas, and then you got to color in all the areas that are lost sectors because they're big, they're massive. And then you gotta add Vex invasions on top and add, like, that changes the area. That makes the area feel different and more alive. Then the public events are different than they were in D1. And you do all of that. And I don't think you have a whole lot of a leg to stand on and be like, it's just a bunch of reskin, boring, thin content. Okay, cool. I mean, I the, the people that play this game day in, day out are, I think, from from the way I gather it, from the comments on Twitter, my YouTube, and here in this chat... The people this content was designed for are liking it. So maybe it just wasn't designed for you, you know? Maybe if you really want to play a co-op game, a single-player game ain't for you, you know? Yeah, we're hitting an hour right now, so we're at question 30, and there's no way I'm going to get through the rest of these. There's no way I'm going to get through the rest of these. So 
I don't like to cut it because then people don't get their questions answered, but I don't like Q&A going for two hours. My lunch is sitting in front of me, and I would like to raid. I also think two-hour-long Q&A sessions are a little bit much. So, if you're listening to this on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or watching on YouTube, and you want to come in and take part of these, you can always watch me at SayNoToRage.com. If you're here live right now, click the follow button, turn on alerts so you don't miss these sessions when they happen. If you want to get your questions in, you got to be in here and get them in quick when the session starts. As always, if you're listening or watching in all the other locations, please like, share, and subscribe.